Hey, welcome to Sunday Sermons. I'm Pastor Brett, pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Centerbrook, Connecticut, and today's gospel comes from Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 19 through 31. Here Jesus tells a story, not a real story, but might as well be, about a rich man who ignores the very serious needs of another thus creating a divide between the two, and Jesus has some very serious opinions about that. But if we're not rich, and if we're fairly kind to those less fortunate than us, then does this parable have any meaning for us today? We'll explore that in today's sermon, and all the ways that we create barriers between one another, and ways that we might bridge these gaps for the sake of Jesus and for his kingdom. If you've got a Bible, then grab it now and read the passage for today. Remember that the Bible is God's word for us. And for sure the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. God is speaking to us through it. Then skip ahead to the sermon, which starts around the 3 minute 20 mark. Otherwise, here it is. The Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter, verses 19 through 31. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. And the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. And the rich man also died, and he was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. And he said then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment." And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, church. Did those boys scare you? Oh, that was a question that was asked me. Uh, she asked me that on a, on a train ride to St. Louis. And I have never before in my life been so embarrassed that someone had to ask me that question. I've never felt such shame. And I think... I've never reflected on a question so much in my entire life. It was years ago, and uh, it was a youth ministry event in Missouri. 
And I, was, um, I met up with a colleague, and she was this tiny little um, inner-city pastor, this older woman of African uh, descent. And she couldn't have been more than, geez, five foot two inches tall, but she had this huge, bigger-than-life personality and, and, and just love and everything, just her whole personality. She was like a giant. And we were riding into the city. We were on a train. We were going to St. Louis. And the train, the closer we got to the city, the more packed it became. And, and we got to this one stop. And at this one stop, a whole bunch of young black men got on, these boys. And they crowded in. There was no more room. So they crowded in real close to us. And, and I, I was genuinely not threatened at all by this. And I mean that. I was not. I was going to school in Philadelphia. I was doing my student pastoring in Camden, New Jersey. And like every good progressive person thinks, you know, just because you got black friends, you're not a racist. Right? That's, that was what I thought, right? And as soon as they got off at the next stop, my colleague here, my, this pastor, she looked at me and she said, were you, were you afraid of those boys? And I, I was so embarrassed. And I was filled with such shame because I knew, I knew exactly what she meant. I knew the implications of the question. And I said, no. And she said, really, well, look at how you're sitting. And I looked over and I went from before sitting real casual like this and everything to now I look at how I'm sitting and I am crunched into this tiny little ball and I'm pushed as far into the window as I possibly could be, like I'm about to jump out. And my hand, which was like by my side earlier, I realized without even knowing it is now sitting on my bag by my feet. She said, really? She said, because look at how you're sitting. And I said, oh, my God. She said, I noticed your body language. And if I noticed, they probably noticed. And how do you think they felt? And I have never felt so much shame in my entire life. Because it wasn't a conscious fear, but for sure there was some sort of unconscious thing happening to me. You know what I'm saying? Our biases, for sure, are real. Be they conscious or unconscious. There are real chasms that keep people apart from each other. And they are wide and they are deep. It's 2019, and this is the 400th year anniversary of slavery. And man, that, that legacy stings hard. But it's not just racial biases that exist that create these chasms between us. Man, they're everywhere. It's religious biases and economic biases, political biases, cultural and national biases for sure right now. You name it. And someone's hated it or been afraid of it or had a preference for someone else. And before you say, no, not me, not me, I say, go and listen to this really amazing TED Talk by a woman named Verna Myers. She's, 
this incredible, she's a diversity expert, and she's just incredible. She gives this, it's 20 minutes, it's not long. And she's recently been hired by Netflix, very recently, as the vice president of inclusion strategy. And she gives this TED Talk, you can look it up, it's called How to Overcome Our Biases, Walk Boldly Towards Them. And she tells this story about being on an airplane, and, and she, I don't know where she was traveling, but um, uh, she's sitting down, and before they even hit the runway, the, you know how the, the pilot comes on and welcomes you to the flight, and it's a woman, and she talks about just being so happy, like, all right, you know, female pilot, how awesome, we're really coming places. And now we're into the flight or so, they hit some major turbulence, and like she's terrified, and the first thing that goes into her mind is, oh my gosh, is this woman going to be able to land the plane? Like, does she have the skill set or capability to be able to get us through this turbulence? And she doesn't realize it then, but after landing the plane and, and later on in the day, she reflects back, she says, oh my goodness, I'm a diversity expert. This is what I do for a living. And in that moment on the plane, my own bias came out. Like, because like, in smooth sailing, I'm super happy with a woman pilot, but when the, when the sailing gets tough and it gets scary, she wanted a man up there. Isn't that crazy? That's super weird, right? Especially given what she does for a living. Our biases themselves are a type of chasm. They just are. And we have them all the time. We can't help it. You can't ignore them. They just are. And this today is exactly what Jesus is warning us about in the scriptures. Right? This is an awesome parable. It's a hard parable, but it's awesome. Jesus tells this story about a rich guy and a poor guy. And the rich guy's living a cool life, and the poor guy's struggling. He sits by the gate every day, and he begs for food, and he's got all these boils and scabs and stuff that are, are broken and bleeding, and, and it's, he's a mess. The dogs are coming up and licking his wounds every day. It's, he's so, such a mess. And then they both die. And they go into the afterlife, the poor guy goes up, and the rich guy goes down. And even in death, it says there's this chasm that cannot be crossed. And the the rich guy begs for Lazarus to come and and give him some water because it's so hot down here. And even in death, that chasm can't be crossed. And and, and he, he doesn't see, he doesn't see even in death the humanity of this poor guy, right? There's this huge chasm. But the chasm isn't just big and great and mighty in death. It didn't start there, did it? Was the chasm created in death? No. It started way long before that. It started in life. What was it? What separated these two men? If you say, well, it was money. You might be right. I mean, for sure, if you say, man, it's income and it's the love of money, you'd be in par with what Luke is teaching and you'd be in par with what we've been hearing the last couple of weeks from the lessons of this gospel. Jesus has a teaching about the economic reality of the world we live in and then the reality of the kingdom of God. And they flip upside down in this kingdom of God. Money has no purpose in, in God's kingdom. And its purpose here is just to corrupt our soul. 
So yeah, if you say money is, money is this chasm, you'd be right. But is that it? Is that the only thing that separates these two men? I mean, what about these boils? What about these wounds, these scabs and, and these things that are, are bleeding over? I mean, surely, surely that is also at issue here, right? I mean, he's wounded. And this rich guy doesn't even stop to take care of his wounds. Something's going on there. And he's hungry. And, and he's hungry and he's wounded. And he's so hungry and wounded. What about these dogs? These dogs come up and, and lick him? I mean, is that, no, is that normal? What is going on with Lazarus that dogs are coming to lick his wounds? Either he is so tired and hungry and sick that he himself cannot keep these dogs from licking his wounds? Or is he, does he have a mental illness? What is going on with this guy? And he's there every single day, which means that the rich man is not the only guy that's walking by him. Something else is happening with Lazarus. Is it just money, illness, mental illness, sickness? What else? He doesn't have a home. Surely that's keeping him part of the outcast of this society too, right? Does he have a place to go if he's baking in the sun and dogs are licking him and people are ignoring him? Maybe he can just go home, but maybe he doesn't have a home. Maybe he's not married. To be not married in this time of the world is a big problem. He has no one to go home to, no kids, no lineage, no family. He's already been outcasted by the people that he's supposed to be loved by. And, and how come he doesn't have a job? That, that doesn't make sense either. Why isn't Lazarus employed? He could do very basic labor, of course, or maybe he can't. Maybe he doesn't have the ability to work. Maybe he's on disability. And surely even today we know people who don't have the ability or who are in disability are already stigmatized today, let alone 2,000 years ago. Is it just money that's keeping this guy separated from society? No. What is creating the chasm? What are the things that we judge people on before we even have a conversation with them? Before we say this parable doesn't apply to us because we're not rich, let's just back up and look at Lazarus, right? And then the irony of this story, of course, is that he dies, and the rich man still cannot see the humanity in this poor man, Lazarus. But when God looks at Lazarus, when God looks at Lazarus, he sees something else, doesn't he? He sees something else. He looks at Lazarus and he sees not someone with sores, not someone hungry, not someone pitiful and sad and a beggar, someone not worth touching or helping. God looks at Lazarus and sees a beloved child, someone God created with God's very own hands who breathed life into when God looks at Lazarus, God looks at someone that God created and would do anything for, that God would go to the depths of hell for. See, there's a difference between our eyes and the eyes of God, isn't there? How can we get his eyes? Those are the eyes I want. I don't want to have my eyes, the eyes of, of a guy in seminary who unconsciously, without even knowing, curls up into a ball trying to leap out a train window because of a couple of black kids come on a train. I don't want those eyes. I want God's eyes. 
who boldly looks at people for who they really are, the full humanity and depth and beauty of who they are, a God who sees people for their wholeness. How do we get those eyes? A God who looks at people and sees God himself. Verna Myers in her TED Talk says, that one of the things we have to do as a people then to eliminate our biases is walk towards them, to recalculate and reframe our brains, rewire them, that that getting rid of the hate in our heart is not enough because we have unconscious biases. We unconsciously have preferences for people and against people. That we have to acknowledge our phobias. We have to inventory our social network. See who's in our friends circle. Who's in our family circle. Who shows up at your funeral? Do they all look like us? Or is it a diversity, a beautiful gift? Who shows up at your wedding? That to be intentional about bridging the gap. Because if we want to see this chasm close, if we want to see the gap come together, we need to walk towards it and do it ourselves. And as I was reflecting on this TED Talk this week when I, when I was thinking about it, isn't that what Jesus did? I mean, Jesus could have been a guy that just got up and preached and sat down. Got up and said, this is the way of the kingdom. This is what the will of God is. This is what I teach. And sat down. But he didn't do that. He didn't just get up and do miracles, heal people, and then move on. Jesus got up, and he moved people together. He crossed societal barriers. He broke social norms. He's the one that rewired society. He wasn't just a preacher and a teacher and a healer and the divine incarnate God. He was the God that got up and ate with sinners interacted with prostitutes, healed lepers, and befriended tax collectors. Jesus welcomed Gentiles and touched and cared for people who were possessed and and people with mental illness and all of these things. Jesus was breaking down barriers in the fear that society had created around these groups. All the while, angering religious leaders in the church because it broke every custom. It broke every phobia. It broke every fear that they had. When the world said, no, you can't do that. You can't talk to those people. You can't eat with those people. You can't touch them. You don't understand. They aren't like the rest of us. Jesus acted in the exact opposite manner. And he spoke to each individual's humanity. And he teaches us and shows us how the world, too, is created to be one of love. And how those people are created in love. How we are created in love. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Church, we follow a God who gave his life not just for you and for me, but for all people of this world, for the very people who are exactly different than we have been created as, who look different, act different, believe different. So how can we not, empowered by Christ, who lives in us, walk towards them? Walk towards our biases, if they have been created in the image of God. How can we not 
use his eyes to see people for who they are, for who we are, beloved children of God. It's the way of Jesus, this God incarnate who always shows up on the other side of the the life we create, of the line that we create. When we divide people in and out, Jesus is always on the other side. He's always on the outside. It's the way of faith, one rooted in the work of mercy and grace that reconciles all people and all creation to the author of life himself. And it's the way of love. And if it's the way of love, then it's the way for us. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're ever near Centerbrook, Connecticut, we'd love to have you join us for church. There is nothing like being with the people of God in worship, and we worship Sundays at 8 and 10 a.m. If you've got prayer requests or scripture you'd love to hear preached on, you can contact me at brett at tlccenterbrook.org. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at brettherzogbedkoski. You can learn more about Trinity Lutheran Church at tlccenterbrook.org. And most importantly... May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And may the Lord look upon you in favor and, as always, grant you peace. God bless.